This is Beirut's Brightside. Vous écoutez Beirut's Brightside. Entoma, Beirut's Brightside. Welcome to BBS Stories. For this new episode, we met with Bahi Rubril, the man behind the city's first proper street atlas, Zawarib, the innovative mapping of Beirut that helps us see the city differently, inspires us to explore beyond the usual spots, and most of all, helps us get around town. Zawarib invites you on a journey to discover hidden treasures, local hangouts, cultural life, and historical landmarks. I had the pleasure of meeting Bahi on a sunny Saturday morning. We chatted over breakfast at a great local hangout in the heart of Ashafiye. He tells us his story, how Zawarib first started out as an obsession, then it became a personal project, and later a company, which now is branched out to many other things and other cities as well. He's passionate, determined, and has become an incredible source of knowledge on what his country has to offer. This is Beirut's Brightside. Vous écoutez Beirut's Brightside. And Thomas, Beirut's Brightside. The whole idea of getting around was inefficient. And um, as an engineer, as a Londoner with a London A to Z, you know, things are methodical and clear. And it's not, you know, we're not dealing with unknowns like... How big is the universe? There is a street, and it's somewhere, and we must know where it is. So I thought, well, the first thing to do is to map the neighborhood that I'm in and get the main roads leading into the main cities, uh, the towns, the main districts of the city, and so on. And then the tiny streets, and then map all these places that people mention. You know, Al-Bayt Al-Ahmar, Al-Shajra, Al-Mahal Matul'at, Al-Imbli, you know, when Midrimeen, when Villa Salah, when Villa Midrimeen, Jamayil, you know, all these GPS that um, are not official but are very much part of the everyday lexicon so i started by me visiting um municipalities um various departments within municipalities trades people trades uh, cooperatives residents um hotel groups concierge etc and marking down all these landmarks what we call now points of reference por as opposed to points of interest which is poi so zawarib kind of defined this whole Um, system of mapping for Beirut, which actually can be transposed to other cities that are equally kind of chaotic with less signage than they should have. Um, the neighborhoods are amorphous. There are, in any city, neighborhoods are not with demarcation lines. The districts, the municipality of Beirut has, for example, created 12 districts, and within that they each have around, on average, five sectors. You have about 60 or 70 sectors. But the people's use of them is limited, much more likely to have neighborhood names. And the neighborhood names are not municipality. They are kind of within the people's imagination. Where does Sassine end and where does Sodico start? Where does Verdun end and where does Marillier start? You know, these kind of things are um, like any city. And these neighborhoods are part of every day, not just um, navigation, but kind of structure of society, where is this shop, where do you live, where did you go to school, and so on. So kind of that was also part of the first data mining uh, process for me, for Zawarib. Actually, it started as a personal project, then it became a, uh, it started in maybe an obsession, it became a project, and then it became a, a company, and now we're branched out to many, many other things, which we'll talk about in a minute, I'm sure. But um, so the sectors, the neighborhoods, the landmarks, the points of reference, street names, official and unofficial. And sometimes you have 
a couple of official street names because before pre-1960 there were names that were given to the streets by the then government, municipality, local council, whatever, which were then changed by the current municipality structure, but some people still call them with the old official name. Um, and then mostly you have unofficial street names, which are disregard any official naming, um, and are known as Nazlit Kaza or Talat Minuwe or whatever, which are much, much more popular and much more known than official names. And that's really at fault of the municipality. If the signage was up there, people would call them by name. And recently, just in the last few months, I've seen a lot more street names come up. So quite proud of that. Maybe it's a bit of our work. Maybe it's a bit of our kind of everybody's need to get some signage up for street names. But the lack of street names meant that we had to get a lot of the landmarks. And we also created structure, hierarchical structure, for the points of reference. So, you know, that you have religious buildings, mosques and churches and so on, create a name for a street or a neighborhood. Um, governmental buildings, if you've got ministries or embassy, um, schools and universities, they, you know, they're, top at the, they're at the top of the hierarchy. Whatever the official street name or unofficial street name if you say Ala Hagazian, it's known what you're talking about. If you have Wizarit uh, al it's known what you're talking about. And so on, Safarit al Yaban. Yaban is actually harder because it's in the inside, but Safarit al Brazil, you know, these kind of things are more prevalent and therefore used as landmarks. Then you have the substructure of, of landmarks, and you get to be maybe more on the commercial side. So big supermarkets also become points of reference to get to places, not because you want to go to that supermarket, but because on your way behind spinnies, you turn right kind of thing. Then smaller shops, especially if they've been around for an old time, like you hide at the Kenny, becomes a point of reference. Um, pharmacies are old points of reference. Old cars that are have been parked for years. Could be, could be. Those are quite poetic. I would. <laughs> we haven't actually mapped those, but maybe we should. Pharmacies, because of the, you know, the cross that you see, and it's normally lit at night. Also, uh, gas stations. Um, there is a dog in Mamchail, right, that people refer to, like a dog so in front of a dekin. Dekin ma'al-kalb barra. That's now become, yeah, exactly. Well, actually, she was there right before any of the restaurants, bars, and so on opened. So she has the right to be. So you started off by going to see the municipalities. Um, how was their reaction? And then did you move on to locals? Did you actually knock on people's doors and be like, what's the name of your street? Well, the street names were from the municipality. The unofficial names were from the tradespeople mostly and locals in the street and also just my knowledge of the city as we grew, as I grew into a local, shall we say. It took a year to do the first edition and kind of the landmarks that were around, you know, like the Dikkeni and the pharmacy and the gas stations and so on. Um, but that was a project that, probably lasted a couple of years, 10 years ago. And then um, and I was still living in London and I had a full-time job and I was coming and going and doing all this and we printed the first edition, which you have here. I do. I'm very proud of it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 it's out of print, you know. It's, it becomes a rarity. Soon it'll be, you know, on the archives of... <laughs> uh, what do you call them? The, the, the rare and antiques. antiques. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thousands of dollars for a copy. Then we... Um, did an updated, then we opened the website, so it became online. We did an updated version and a bigger area. So this Beirut here is already 34 municipalities. So Beirut plus 33 suburban municipalities, which basically was from Dubai to Dahi. 
In 2010, we created what we called Metropolitan Beirut, which went much, much broader. It went from Tabarja down to Bshamun and included Alay and Bremena. So many, so about 100 municipalities around Beirut, I would say, um, which covered most of what we now consider as, you know, the Metropolitan Beirut, whether you live or visit or whatever. Again, lots of landmarks and points of reference and so on. Um, that is what is now available. And we created a much smaller version, just city of Beirut, which actually is about 26 square kilometers and covers, I guess, 90% of the activities and commercial areas and so on. But uh, and we created it as a pocketbook for cyclists and pedestrians, and we did various different cover versions. So we kind of engaged with the artistic, arty community, design community of Beirut to make the mapping idea not just for architects and engineers, but also for every day and a bit more funky and trendy. So we got some of the um, you know, filmmakers, product designers, graphic designers, architects that are making it happen in Beirut. You know? In a way, they are putting Beirut on the map through their work locally, regionally and globally. We asked them each to come up with a different version of Zawarib and their interpretation. And, you know, they became also bestsellers, little pocketbooks with beautifully designed covers. But more than that, for me, it engaged more people into using maps to get to know your city. And not just to get around the city more efficiently, but really get to know your city, both historically and geographically. geographically. Historically, as in, what is the name of the street? What's the real name? Why is it called Commodore, Cinema Commodore, you know, Hotel Commodore, Sheria Commodore? Actually... It's called Balbak Street. But the Balbak Street is the official name, which hardly anyone uses, because Commodore has been there for much longer and still is, not cinema, but a hotel. Um, again, the names behind some of the people, who are they? You know, poets, um, political leaders, etc. Neighborhood, you know, the Battle of Verdun, Jemaisi, Al-Hirish, Ainatini, Sinilfil, you know, all these are beautiful words that just think about where they come from and why and so on. Um, and then we moved on to highlighting some of the hidden treasures around Zawarib, Beirut. Literally, the name of the company, Zawarib, as you know, most of the listeners may or may not, I don't know, means little alleyways. And we are, Zawarib, not just in that we cover very detailed mapping, but also we pick up the hidden treasures of identity, of lifestyle, of contemporary Beirut, as opposed to you know, the high street names and the, what you are supposed to know. We, and Zawarib, to Zawarib is also a very Lebanese word, you know. It's to, to, to get around life in a kind of charming, not sneaky, but kind of more intelligent way, if, if you can. And it's about finding out the hidden treasures of a neighborhood like we are here. So where are we? Can you describe a bit this neighborhood of Ashrafi? And it's funny because I was driving here earlier and I realized I wasn't even sure of the name of this street. And this is, you know, one of the big streets, main roads in, in Ashrafiye. So we're going to open <laughs> Zawarib and you're going to tell me where we are exactly and maybe a bit more about this area. Sure, sure. So Ashrafiye is um, one of the 12 districts that the municipality has uh, created for making up the city of Beirut. It's one of the bigger ones. It's made up of, I think, about nine or ten smaller sectors. Actually, where we are is the sector is called Ashrafiye as well as the district. So it's kind of the center, the capital center, the capital sector of the city. Um, the street, this is a main road. 
uh, it's got an interesting story, so that's why I'm going to open it here. Because actually, the n- there are three names. Well, there are two names, one in, in English and Arabic, and another one in uh, the official name, which I'm not sure many people know. But it starts at Sassin Square, which is actually around a circle, but it's called Sassin Square, Sehad <laughs> Sassin. And it ends not at Sodiko, but because it carries on all the way, almost to Ainatini. This is one of the longest streets in Beirut, this one. But the main dual carriageway is from Sassin to Sodiko. Then it becomes slightly smaller, then you have all the bridges, well, the, the small, tiny high flyovers that take you all the way. If you see this map, you see you're still on the street, which actually is called Lies Sarkis Boulevard. But everyone knows it as Sher al-Istilal. Rue de l'Independence. Exactly. So you have Isti- for the Frenchies. Istiklal Street, Independence Street, and Lies Sarkis Avenue. Three names for the same stretch. Um, most people use, uh, use the word Sher al-Istilal or Istiklal Street, uh, especially if they come from Turkey, because yeah, the main Turkish, yeah. you know, Istanbul is Istiklal. However, recently I've noticed a lot of people also calling this bit here either Mono or Sodiko, which is the neighborhood it leads into. Um, look, if we follow this map here, so you're still on Istiklal all the way there. We go to page 56, and you carry on here. here it's going all the way. It covers this area, which is, you know, we're now in Bashura, or Batrakiyi. And you, you know this is where it splits into two, Honil Basta, yeah. Basta Antique Market. And this carries on with the same name, Istiklal, all the way to Talit Druz. And this is where it kind of has to stop because the one-way system, you know, this is a one-way road, Rashidin. So it's one of the longest streets. So it goes all the way to Verdun, basically. Almost. Exactly, almost. This is, Ainatini is here, basically. There isn't really any signage I've seen that says Lies Sarkis Boulevard. I think there might be one right at the beginning there, it's a small one. But people know it as either Istiklal Street or the hotel, the Gabriel Pharmacy, is a huge landmark. It's a huge, big signage, and it's open 24-7. And opposite it is the Gabriel Hotel. So it's known as Sher al-Tabal Gabriel or Librerie Antoine or, or Sassin to Sodico, um, which is lovely in a way, you know. It is Istiklal, it is Lies Sarkis, but people use whatever they can to get by. Uh, so we're in Ashrafiyye sector, Ashrafiyye district. Ashrafiyye is one of the highest points of the city. Actually, Sassin Square is the highest point in Beirut, in the city of Beirut, if you just consider the 26 square kilometers. Um, the word Ashrafiyye means tushruf. So you look over or you look out onto. So when you're at a high hill point, you look in, out over the rest of the city. So Tishrof, Tishrof, the rest of this, I think that's where the name comes from. There's also another story, which I'm not sure is true, about this is somebody said to this to me or said it when I was actually in the room or actually it was on TV and I thought pretty presumptuous because that actually implies that the rest of Beirut have no sharaf. Um, so I don't think it's true. I think it's also much more likely that there were very few people living in the city and it wasn't about how nice and sharaf or ma'andun sharaf. It was about more um, la- physical landmarks that were given to the neighborhoods. Um, it also, it, was a quite, it is quite a new neighborhood. It's only about... A hundred years ago, when most of this area was basically farmland, um, big mansions, 
villas, um, mostly Christian community of Beirut. The French mandate was all about mansions and farmland and maybe a few commercial places down, you know, where the, the Ashrafiyya hits the port near where currently we have Jamaisi. Again, Jamaisi. Jamaisi is a sycamore tree. So what we have there now is lots of bars and restaurants and hotels and a lovely vibe, but no sycamore trees. But <laughs> maybe there were sycamore trees at the end there. And then you had that bit of farmland, sycamore trees and the coastline. Um, downtown, what is now downtown, was a vibing, vibrant community. Hamra probably was more vibrant. Or maybe it was just after the AUB was established in the late 19th century. It became vibrant or at least had some sense of residence, etc. But Ashrafiyya didn't, I think, really become a uh, community area until maybe 1950s, 60s. I don't think, maybe, I'm not sure. I mean, the buildings have been here much longer, and the beautiful surah, surah sirsu, surah Horni, which some have remained and some have gone, unfortunately, or fortunately, you know, the city is changing all the time. I'm not, uh, I don't want to be judgmental about that at the moment. Um, but, you know, I think they were, they've been there for hundreds of years, but not as it is now. Today, Ashrafiyya is very much a pulsating center, one of the main centers. And a lot of the neighborhoods around Ashrafiyya that are not officially called Ashrafiyya are now called Ashrafiyya because everybody wants to, you know, it's the known bit. Even parts of Jamaisi and Manchail are told, are said to be Ashrafiyya. We have Siufi just behind here, which is the other side of the hill looking down into the Beirut River and across to Sinil uh, Fil. Siufi Public Gardens, beautiful, very well kept, and actually one of the bigger ones in Beirut, uh, with a lovely view across, as I said. Um, you have lots of theaters in Ashrafiyya, you have a couple of cinemas, you have the art cinema metropolis, you have a lot of diversity of um, nighttime activities. And I don't mean all loud pumping bars, lots of, uh, you know, there's Onomatopoeia, which does readings and very intimate um, concerts, you know, and very much eclectic concerts, like Japanese something with oud and so on. Um, you've got this place, Cantina. So I don't think they've been around for a while, from a year maybe maximum. But again, you know, kind of celebrating all the wineries of Lebanon, and that's something that I'm very proud of. We have more than 50 wineries, I think now. And you also worked on a map, right, of all the wineries in Lebanon? Exactly. We have winery maps for the Bekaa Valley. We've created winery maps for the Batroun area. I mean, there are more wineries than that. Uh, we haven't yet created one map for Lebanon of all the wineries, but we will. It's definitely oncoming. But their work is wonderful. And, I th and the more I promote myself and the more I see others um, promoting and the wineries themselves winning prizes and accolades and being seen as better wines than probably most people expect, um, it's really a very proud-making thing. The more products we have from Lebanon going out to the world, the better it is for all. And I think that's something that we're very much part of now. I was going to say Zawadib is one of them, right? Because uh, we think we're very special in Lebanon uh, that we describe locations by, you know, the church next door or the shop downstairs or the, the gas station in front. Uh, um, but I'm sure other cities have the same issues. You've taken Zawadib abroad. Can you tell us a bit about that? So we worked on, um, in Istanbul on creating the same concept, so having the maps based on um, landmarks that visitors will see. It's a bit easier in Istanbul because the streets are very well signed. I mean, the street names are posted, but most people don't use them anyway. 
But the task in Istanbul was really about converting what we do in Beirut in curating or choosing the places that are creating the contemporary identity of the neighborhood. So we just mentioned, talked about Ashrafiyyah, it has a different vibe day or night to, let's say, uh, Hamra. Hamra has a different uh, attitude to what is there and how you operate and what you do to downtown. Very much, you know, more glitzy, glam. Ashrafiyyah is more um, old-style, classy. Jemaisi is somewhere in between. Marmkhail is very hipster, central, although it's got a very, very interesting adult, you know, more mature than hipster, but mature hipster, shall we say. And they're very um, uh, diverse as well. So... In Istanbul, we try to do the same. We picked the kind of places that define the area. So as a newcomer, if you have a friend that knows the city well, you're fine. If you don't, or if you don't trust your good friend, you want to have Zawarib. We are the basically uh, your local best friend in the palm of your hand, whether it's on mobile or in paper. And you take us around and we kind of tell you, here, I'll show you what you're going to really enjoy. That's where locals are today or this year whether it's a cafe where we are today having breakfast in the morning or a place to meet friends at lunchtime or a yoga center or an art gallery that's showing contemporary, contemporary local artists. Or even the stores that we highlight, you know, fashion stores or product stores, are very much about the locals' work being sold in local shops um, as much as we can. I mean, sometimes... We also look at someone who's working hard and they've got a beautiful shop and an amazing part of town that is reflecting the identity of the neighborhood, but the things they're selling are perhaps international. or being. But, you know, we still add them in because, again, that's a place what it gives you an idea of what locals are doing. So it's very much what we do in Beirut and what we have been doing in Istanbul. It's on hold for a couple of years because of the situation in Turkey. And to be honest with you, our own logistics of making it work but we we have been and probably will do again is really make a traveler's trip much more uh, engaging with the local community if you want to go and see the sites and be a tourist that's fine but Zawarib is not really for you if you want to go in there and get to be in the know you know what's really the, what the pulse of the city and where is it happening and who's doing it we are it what about the hidden gems, hidden treasures? I want to know more. Any around here? Any around this area of Ashrafi? I think this is one <laughs> where we are. I mean, you've, you haven't been here before, and um, it's not been open that much, but I like also the fact they do these wine tastings, for example. So the location of the places is one thing, but also if you go in, you will find some uh, aspects of each one that is quite an interesting... There's, you know, an organic store, organic uh, um, organic restaurant, uh, healthy living called Kitchen Confidential next to Chez Michel, which are the other side of... And there's a yoga center also down here. You may know it, Hamza Yoga Space. Um, and an old... Well, not an old, but in a typical Beiruti house of this neighborhood. So you walk into the living room and it's actually yoga mats and windows and, you know, into the back garden and so on. So the whole idea is very much about... You wouldn't find this in New York, you know, or London. It's about being very much a Beiruti thing that you're doing. Yoga is yoga anywhere. But when you do it in, a, in an environment which is slightly different, it makes a big, big change to how you think about things. Um, there's a few hidden shops down, as I said, in Sassin going down to Sufi, a little cafes. I mean, it's all in, the, it's all in, in, in Zawarib. And I really um, like the fact that the maps are being used more and more despite the fact that it's not about 
getting to places because getting to place to be honest with you with everyone on whatsapp and the location sharing method it's not hard to get to the place but it's hard to discover a route and find a kind of uh, a journey it's what we're talking about is the journey is your destination walking to a place is really what i'm trying to make than getting to a place. So, so the best way to discover Beirut is by just, you know, getting kind of lost with the Zawarib and just walking, right? Exactly. I mean, what, uh, sometimes I say, yeah, put Zawarib in your back pocket and get lost. And then open it when you really are lost and you have no idea whether you're going up or down. But that's nice also, to f- if you have the luxury of that time, obviously. It's just to walk around. So I read that Beirut hadn't been mapped since before the war. Did you use the maps that you found when you started this project? Did you use anything that already existed? Did you start from scratch? Yeah, there was a couple of maps that were printed in the mid-70s or late 70s. Um, not really. I mean, there are, there are maps that were printed by the municipality also, which I have in the office on the shelves, beautiful. Um, we used some of those. But because what we were doing was very much about mapping the landmarks and the points of reference and the alternative street names, none of those were available online, uh, in print or online. So, no, we had to do a lot of it ourselves. So we talk a lot about Beirut as a city of contrast, and when tourists come here, it's, it's often their first remarks. What do you feel about that? What, what would you say about it? Absolutely. This is how I describe the city in a lot of the communication. I, I say the city of contrast just never stops giving. And You know, we have got these wine bars just like other cities. We have got the nightclubs like other cities. We have the Oud and we have the Garden and we have the Basta Antique Market. We have the Raushi and the Corniche and the Lebanese restaurants and the Italian delis and the, and the Bistro and whatever. We have them all in this tiny, tiny, if not even 26 square kilometers. I think they all exist in about 10 square kilometers of each other. And all accessible and all so different and all so brilliant, really. The style of each one, the service. I mean, if you go out in the day or the night, the openings, the art scene, the design scene, the, the culture, the business. This is all happening in many, many cities around the world, but not in the proximity and the density and the intensity that is happening in Beirut. So you seem to be always taking on new challenges, Bahi. What are you working on now? So now we've got a uh, couple, actually a few big projects. One is trying to create a um, walking route for pedestrians and maybe cyclists to engage with the street names and the history of the names and the people behind the names and who they were and what they did. We kind of, you know, maybe what I know because I lived in London as well as here, as the blue plaques where you have a kind of few lines about who this person was which is named the streets named after uh year of birth what they did and so on or in italy in rome where you have the big metal plates and you've got historical uh, significance of the area uh we've already started this couple of years ago and you might notice these plates um maps that we've put around town with you are here and what's around you and so on so we might be adding on to that some more information and instead of having them Um, on, on foam board, we then engaging with the public works, Ministry of Public Works, and creating more uh, metallic plates and so on. Um, but that engages, once you get government engaged, it becomes more of such a more uh, protracted process that I'm not sure. We're also working on Lebanon-wide, the country-wide, um, promoting cultural religious tourism. 
So creating a whole new aspect of tourism where internal and, ex- and visitors come for outside of the main cities to visit some of our most wonderful religious monuments and shrines and temples and of all the faiths that we have and some that are predating any of the three main faiths, you know, Roman and Greek and Phoenician and underwater and inside caves. And we have hundreds, thousands of these that we're working on with various ministries as a public body. Um, no, as a private body working with public bodies on promoting this and increasing tourism to the rural parts of Lebanon and helping all the, you know, the, the SMEs that work around that area, whether it's a little guest house or a restaurant or a souvenir shop and making them more accessible, making signage more available and making the whole process more, um, uh, not official, but efficient for visitors with ticket sales and so on. Um, so those are the two. But, uh, you know, in Beirut, we're constantly working on increasing the, the coverage that we have, whether it's by geographical area. So recently we covered, uh, added Badaro to the places we cover and making it more accessible on various platforms that we have, channels, I mean. So you have the website, which is a mood website. It's based on your mood, it tells you where to go. As well as the print, we have collaborations increasingly with other media, like Lorient Le Jour, like Cedar Wings, Lebanon Traveler, yourselves, um, about promoting the brilliance of Beirut as one big entity. You know, I'm not really interested. I am interested in each of the places like this one or the, 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 you know, the bar in Maram Khayel, the art gallery in, in, Ashraf, in Hamra and so on. But it's all together that make Beirut so brilliant. So is that the bright side of the city? The brilliance of all of them together, the, 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 the intensity. The richness. The inten- exactly. The richness, I think, is a good cover. It's, it covers the whole intensity and the diversity and the uh, uh, um, compactness of them all. This is what Beirut is. Is there a secret to staying you know, positive and optimistic? It's hard, right? Is it hard? Skipping rope <laughs> and 100 jumps every morning. <laughs> It's all in the mind, whatever city. I mean, I've lived in many cities, and so have you, and many people have, and there's a lot of pessimism about anything that you do on a daily basis, on a routine basis, that becomes just kind of heavy. And you change, life's about change, and if any city offers change, Beirut does. It's wonderful for that. And I don't mean life-changing change. I mean just change in daily routines. And, and we, you know, some people say, and I'm very much into theater. Um, I mean, I had studied acting, and I've produced many plays and so on. And yes, there might be a lack of official theaters and, and there's no opera house, etc., etc. But the streets of Beirut are theater. Every day is theater. You just sit on a street corner and you will see drama unfolding, whether it's, it's intense, positive, laughable, comedy, tragedy. It's there. It's happening all the time. Yesterday morning I went to, um, I had a presentation at the Serai, part of the uh, previous project I was talking about. And I went to this barbershop in Jamaisi and I walked in at 10 and they were sweeping the floors and whatever just because they were opening and I said where's Hani who does my beard oh he's coming in half an hour 20 minutes 15 I don't know what suddenly there's a whole camera crew in there with lights and sound and I've got a microphone and my t-shirt what's going on it's BBC Arabic have suddenly arrived and they're taking a, a shoot to documentary about spending your money in Beirut and there I was just in the morning woke up and I went to get my beard trim so you know, these things are constantly happening. The previous night, two nights earlier, there was Fête de la Musique. And they'd closed off all of uh, Marm Khayel, you know, Armenia Street and part of Jemaisi. And 
just the vibe was when you bump into people, it's like a big campus, but nobody's students, we're all adults, and it's not a campus, it's a city. And so many things are happening, and it's non-stop, and it's non-stop, and every neighborhood has things, and there's openings every day somewhere, it's an art opening, or a book launch, or a, a bar opening, or something happening, an NGO that's gathered thousands of people against this, or that law, or this law, or the VAT, or the you know buildings on the corniche, or... You know, it's non-stop and it's liberal and it's free, as in, you know, free-spirited. You know, whether you're talking about um, lifestyles, you know, more and more lifestyles are uh, not only appreciated but uh, celebrated. Um, And, you know, the loose hand of government, I think, is very attractive. It does have its downside, like the garbage and the traffic and so on. But I think more and more you see EU, UK, US government becoming more and more meddling with everyday lives and failing, actually. The more you think, well, actually, we're at the best here. We we not only have managed to have a workable social structure for decades without government, we're getting better at it. And actually, I think we can be an example for the future of other nations where government might be failing. Well, your uh, positiveness is very contagious. So thank you for that, Bahi. And it was such a pleasure spending this time with you. Thank you for featuring on Beard's Brightside podcast, which is BBS Stories. And uh, thank you for all the hard work. Thank you for your engagement, for reaching out. And, you know, people like us are making Beirut, are putting Beirut on the map. Your work, the work behind people who owns places like this and You know, I always say we are the mapping company, but what we're mapping are places and people and venues and events themselves are putting Beirut on the map. We're just kind of communicating this richness and brilliance. Thank you. This is Beirut's Brightside. Vous écoutez Beirut's Brightside. Entoma, Beirut's Brightside. At the end of our interview, the couple sitting next to us who had overheard our conversation was curious about Zawarib. As foreigners who had recently moved to Beirut, they wanted to know more about public transportation, and so did I. So I called Bahi later that day, and he explained that the bus map that he had been working on years ago was part of his obsession of turning chaos into order, with his background in engineering, mathematics, and logic. It was putting together data, overlaying the vaguely existing bus routes to the map of Beirut in a schematic way so that the user could visually easily understand where the bus is going. Color coding the different routes, pointing out clearly where the stops are. Bahi had started working on this map on his dining room table in London back in 2010. And since then, of course, it has been adapted and developed and widely used. He believed it has increased the use of public transport, especially by foreigners who otherwise would have to solely count on hand signs and gestures to get around. It's still difficult to know where the buses stop exactly, he says, like at the Kola intersection. Buses will deviate slightly from their route if there's traffic, for example. Some users might actually appreciate a quicker ride home. And like everything else in Lebanon, somehow it works out. Beirut definitely has no secrets for Bahi Robril, and his love for the city, for its changing nature, its vibe and energy is highly contagious. I asked Bahi to list local bands that he likes and that he would like to feature on this podcast. 
One of his recommendations was Lumi, the two-piece alternative electronic rock band with Marc Cotzi on synths and drum machines and Maëlin Haj on vocals and guitar. They recently released a new album, The Night Was a Liar. So we'll end this episode of BBS Stories with their opening track, Raised in Fire. Thanks for tuning in. Till next time. This is Beirut's Brightside. Vous écoutez Beirut's Brightside. Entoma, Beirut's Brightside.
This is Beirut's Brightside. Vous écoutez Beirut's Brightside. Ben Thomas, Beirut's Brightside.